0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In the last episode, we introduced the book of Exodus. We saw that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, enslaved the people of Israel and made their lives bitter to produce store cities to house his wealth. Pharaoh has built an empire on the back of slave labor, and now he seeks to build more wealth and secure all... His political power at the expense of the Israelite people. The question is whether or not the Israelites will accept their lot as Pharaoh's slaves, just as the rest of Egypt has. We were also introduced to Moses, who as a baby was drawn out of the River Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. As he grows up, Moses sides with the Israelite people against Pharaoh and their Egyptian overlords, which sets up a rivalry that will become important later on. When Moses engages with an Egyptian in mimetic violence and kills him, Pharaoh is also drawn into this very same cycle of violence and attempts to kill Moses. As we saw in the last episode, Moses flees to Midian to start a new life there. Yet as we shall see his dreams of a white picket fence a dog named Rover and 2.3 children are short-lived. Meanwhile, we're wondering what will happen to the Israelite people. Moses seems to have abandoned them. Will anyone come to their rescue? As we read on from Exodus chapter 2 verse 3, we see that God has compassion upon the people of Israel and he will indeed intervene on their behalf. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moved with compassion for the Israelite people, God appears to Moses and commissions him to confront Pharaoh and deliver the people of Israel from his hand. Notice that God appears as a bush which burns with fire, yet the bush is not consumed. Scholars have often noted that God is portrayed as fire throughout the Bible. Yet why? Throughout the book of Genesis we have seen heavenly fire employed to describe the destructive effects of mimetic rivalry. For example, the city of Sodom, self-destructed through mimetic rivalry, which was depicted as fire coming out of the sky and consuming the city. Now in Exodus, we see this same fire burning in a bush, but unlike the city of Sodom, the bush is not consumed. From a mimetic perspective, this fire represents the Israelite people's desire for freedom, which Pharaoh has taken away from them. Unfortunately, the people can do nothing about it because Pharaoh is too strong and too powerful for them. For this reason, although the people's desire for freedom burns brightly, they cannot engage Pharaoh in any sort of meaningful rivalry, hence why the divine fire of mimetic rivalry cannot consume the bush. However, as the people cry out to God in their anguish, God has compassion upon them. We are told that God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, this God is the God of the victim and the outcast, the God who intervenes on behalf of the oppressed and marginalized. Reading on from verse 11 But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and they say to me, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they may ask me, What is his name? And what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us today, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know what the king of Egypt, he will not let you go unless he is compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go away, you shall not go away empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbour, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he looked, he took it out. And behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? Moses seems reluctant to accept his commission, offering all sorts of excuses. After all, Moses has just fled from Pharaoh and began a new life in Midian. Although Moses has found peace and safety in Midian, mimetic desire continues to gnaw away at him. There's something profoundly human about this. As soon as we begin to experience peace and prosperity for which we have been searching, which we thought would make us whole and complete, we realise that these things cannot satisfy us and we begin to yearn for something more. We set our desires upon a new object that we hope will satisfy us and the cycle begins all over again. In this passage, God incarnates the call of mimetic desire, which unsettles Moses and inspires him to set his desire upon a new object. As we continue throughout the book of Exodus, we shall see the Lord God depicted as an agent of mimetic rivalry and violence. The Lord entices Moses to imitate his compassion for the Israelite people, to return to Egypt, and to engage in rivalry with Pharaoh over the desired object of the Israelite people. While Moses's head and rational self offers excuses like, "I am a nobody, they won't believe me, I'm slow of speech," the call of mimetic rivalry echoes louder and louder. The Lord counters Moses' first objection, who am I, by declaring his name, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. In other words, Moses thought he wanted to be a nobody, living a peaceful life with his new family in Midian, far away from Pharaoh. But mimetic desire will inspire him to forge a new identity for himself. This mimetic drive to create a new identity for himself, will send Moses to rescue the people of Israel. But how will Moses sell the vision to the Israelite people? He must kindle a desire among the Israelites for a new way of life, a life of freedom and prosperity in a new land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, a new life in which the Israelites get to enjoy the fruits of their labour rather than giving it all away to Pharaoh to make him rich. We see this new reality realised as the Israelites plunder the Egyptians' clothing and jewellery. Presenting this vision as a potential object of desire to the Israelites, Moses attempts to unite the people against the chief obstacle to this vision, Pharaoh. He intends to engage Pharaoh in warfare. The Lord promises to strike Pharaoh with a mighty arm, which is ancient warrior god language. Having defeated Pharaoh, the Israelites will then plunder the Egyptians' jewellery and clothing. But the word interpreted plunder in this passage in Hebrew, Natsal, is translated elsewhere as rescue. So how does Moses save the Egyptians from Pharaoh by plundering their jewellery and clothes? Well, recall that Pharaoh has united all of Egypt against the Israelites. We were told in chapter 1 that the Egyptians load the Israelites. Yet in this passage we are told that God will transform the Egyptians' prejudice into favour the Lord will ultimately save the Egyptians by freeing them from Pharaoh's toxic rule and ideology. Free from their old prejudices, the Egyptians can then offer reparation to the Israelites in the form of clothing and jewellery as they leave Egypt and set out for the promised land. In response to Moses' second objection, what if they don't believe me, the Lord grants Moses magical powers. These powers are important because magical abilities are often attributed to scapegoats. As I mentioned in the last podcast, Moses becomes Israel's saviour scapegoat leader when he delivers them to the border of the promised land at the cost of his own life. Moses also claims to be slow of speech, which may also set him apart from the rest of this community as a potential scapegoat. Notice also that Moses kindles God's anger. If God incarnates mimetic rivalry in the book of Exodus, then God's anger represents the community's wrath directed towards Moses as they band together against him as their communal scapegoat. God assures Moses that he will teach him what to say in these situations In other words, mimetic rivalry will drive Moses' actions and speech from now on. The Lord tells Moses that his brother Aaron, who represents Israel's priesthood, will speak for him. The priesthood will speak on Moses' behalf in the future and they will carry on his authority. Aaron will look to Moses as a god, that is, a deified scapegoat and will later lead and facilitate communal worship, just as Moses prescribed it. You see, this is the thing about scapegoats. The community band together and they lynch their scapegoat, but afterward, once they experience the profound peace and catharsis that comes from that murderous event, they then believe that the scapegoat is a God, and they begin to worship and revere this person. And that is what we're seeing in this text, at least in the way that Moses is being portrayed. Reading on now from verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Having had his dialogue with God, Moses is now imitating the Lord's compassion for the Israelite people and he desires to see if they are still alive. Incarnating the non mimetic lifestyle which Moses is leaving behind, Jephro allows Moses to go along with his family. In contrast, the Lord incarnates mimetic rivalry, urging Moses to return to Egypt now that the Pharaoh who attempted to kill Moses has died. This verse seems to stem from a different textual tradition to the rest of the Exodus narrative. Perhaps it represents an earlier version of the Exodus story in which Pharaoh dies, allowing Moses to waltz into Egypt and set the Israelite people free with a minimum of fuss. But if we dig a little deeper, we see that Pharaoh has already died in this narrative. We saw back in chapter 2 verse 23, we read that during those days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out to help from God. So these two references to Pharaoh dying act like bookmarks in Moses' little family building exercise. As Moses flees from Egypt and begins a new life in Midian, Pharaoh dies. And again we're told that Pharaoh is dead as Moses prepares to return from Egypt. So what do we make of this? We mentioned earlier that as Moses flees Egypt, he allows the mimetic rivalry between himself and Pharaoh to subside. In a sense then, from Moses' perspective, Pharaoh is dead at least in a figurative sense, in the way that he's not worrying about him anymore. He's moved on from him. He's not trying to engage in rivalry and fight back with Pharaoh. So in that sort of symbolic sense, Pharaoh is dead. Yet as we've seen in this narrative, the Lord appears to Moses and kindles that mimetic rivalry again that desire to see the israelite people released from their bonds and as moses adopts that desire and strives towards it it will bring him again into rivalry with pharaoh in other words pharaoh was dead in the sense that moses left that rivalry behind but he does not stay dead mimetic rivalry will draw these two into battle once more Hence the mention at the end of this passage that you can return to Egypt now, Moses. The people who sought your life are now dead. In other words, God is telling Moses, you've forgotten about Pharaoh. You've forgotten about your people. You've left behind your passion. And it's time to go back. It's time to acknowledge Pharaoh's existence and all the evil that he is doing. And it's time to confront him. Pharaoh was dead when you tried to play happy families, but no longer can this go on. It's time to do something about the evil in the world. We can't just sit by and let it go. In response, Moses sets out for Egypt with his magical stick in hand. The Lord then instructs Moses to use his new magic powers to confront and overpower Pharaoh because he will harden his heart. From a mimetic perspective, this hardening describes a kindling of mimetic desire which will lead Pharaoh to hold on to his Israelite slave force at all costs. We will flesh out this dynamic further when we examine the exchange between Moses and Pharaoh throughout the Exodus narrative. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Memetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.